0: You're listening to Autumn on the Air, the weekly podcast that brings you conversations about the impact of research commercialization and the people who make it happen. Join us for interviews with patent and licensing professionals, innovators, entrepreneurs, and tech transfer leaders on the issues and trends that matter most. Keep listening for an inside track on the people, IP policies, and politics changing our world. Welcome to Autumn on the Air. I'm your host, Lisa Mueller. With this past Monday being recognized as Indigenous Peoples Day, I'm thrilled to have today's guest on the podcast, David Petit. This week's episode is brought to you by Wellspring. Wellspring is a leading provider of innovation ops software for research institutions and corporate clients worldwide. Every day, more than 500 organizations rely on Wellspring's tech transfer and technology scouting systems to support their work. Learn more about Wellspring's products by visiting their website at www.wellspring.com. David Petit is a member of the Fond du Lac Band of Lake Superior Chippewa Tribe and a visionary entrepreneur and inventor. He was a co founder of Stat Signal Systems Inc., the first business to patent and launch wireless mesh technology in the late 1990s. He is also a founding partner in Dipco, which has further developed wireless mesh technology. David has received over 50 patents and has more than 100 US patents pending dating back to 1995. Last but certainly not least, David is the founder of the Native American Intellectual Property Enterprise Council also known as NAPEC, which helps indigenous inventors in the U.S. Welcome, David. So glad to have you on the air.
1: Well, thank you for the invite. I really appreciate the reach out and uh, look forward to the conversation.
0: Yeah, we're really excited to have you here and on the podcast today, and particularly uh, given the fact that Indigenous Peoples Day is recognized on October 10th and November is Indigenous Peoples Month, I think this is really a great time to highlight and learn about successful tribal organizations and individuals. David, I wanted to learn more about your background. And in doing my research, I found that your father served as the chief of the Red Cliff Chippewa tribe in Wisconsin. Were there any cultural customs or aspects of your ancestry that your father passed on to you as you grew up?
1: Yeah, there was a lot of traditional values that my father brought to the table when I was young, teaching me much true you know some of the old ways and understanding you know the blessings of the creator and how that plays into our life and uh you know so there was some hand-me-down values that he taught me that are traditional values and how it relates to respecting you know not only you know the, the, what's what's here in front of us but us what's beyond that and you know the the storytelling the 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 idea of music, songs, writings, history, language, all that's kind of you know a traditional value that a lot of people that live off the res um, really don't see unless you're engulfed into that type of traditional living. so there was a lot of value that was given to me and it and it actually helped me to become who I am today.
0: Yeah, so how would you say that um, that influence uh, contributed to your success as an inventor and ultimately as a patent
1: holder? Oh, it was a huge uh, uplift for me. I mean, the spiritual transitioning to understanding what economic spirituality, how it tied into the creator and how it tied into traditional ways – Particularly when you go through the meditation state and you understand, you know, when you go in and you 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 kinda of take yourself to different levels and you're looking to find answers or you're looking to find, you know, ways to make something or improve something, or you're looking to ways to enhance your life or whatever, those values really replicated themselves and helped amplify themselves to be what I call a prolific inventor. Because I can remember there was a lot of times when I would be sitting there trying to come up with an idea or a way to get around a problem that I could immediately just kind of go into some sort of a meditation state and then gradually work my way into the problem and find the solution. So it was very valuable for me. And uh, I think that's a part of inventing that a lot of people don't realize they actually do that, but they actually do that in order to in order in most cases in order to find a way to create or to innovate.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So how did you get interested in engineering? Were you always interested in it as a child, or was that something that evolved uh, as you got older?
1: Well, I've always been somewhat of a problem solver. Even as a kid, I, I learned that, you know, if there are certain things I could do to make something work better or understand how something works to improve it, that was something that I always strive for.
0: Now, you have a large number of patents. I think you have over 50 issued patents, and you have 100 that are still pending. Where did you learn about IP, and, and how did you ultimately become a patent holder?
1: Well, it's interesting, so... One day I was sitting there and I was reading in a paper about a lady who got stabbed like 21 times at a at a bank ATM machine, and the and the police said she could have survived if she had a way of reaching out, or a way of you know somebody knowing she was sitting there bleeding, but and and she had died in and at the ATM machine and her, her two kids survived and her husband and I thought that was a tragic event and I said I could. I can actually make something to prevent that from happening, so my first patent I filed was was an a t m security device oh wow and and yet it never got off the ground so i i I realized then I had to think through you know when I invent something, think through the whole from 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 the cradle to the grave kind of scenario on the the innovative product and how do you get it into the distribution chain, and then how do you get it to the consumer? To where it, it's improving people's lives, so that was a that first invention was a tough one for me because you know I actually thought that I could help people with it.
0: Is that ultimately kind of when you started heading in the direction of this wireless mesh technology?
1: Yeah, it was a gradual move. When I, when I realized what I had invented for the banks, it, it was the first system that you could move emergency data using the internet. And this was back in 1992 before it was really called the internet. I realized that I could use it, use this new worldwide web as a distribution, um, you know, as a way of distributing data for, you know, getting around the dedicated phone line systems. I thought that was disruptive. And particularly when you're dealing with 9-11 or life-threatening situations, uh I realized how valuable it was to create a virtual connection using what I called hot terminals, and, and and those hot terminals were placed at the banks, and and it created an open-ended network that I could use wireless technology just to extend it, so I could move data just about virtually over anything. So thus launched the mesh technology, which is a wireless mesh technology that's used today.
0: So what products, David, is your technology incorporated into?
1: Well, there's been a sort of a gradual step from my technology where it's actually integrated into almost everything. So from thermostats to light switches to fire detectors, smoke detectors to water flood sensors. Just about any kind of sensor around you, even in your car, it's all kind of graduated using the Internet to connect sensory devices. I remember when I sold my first product using a wireless sensor device outside of the banking. I, I sold it for, uh, for help, help, I'm falling, I can't get up system. We were running emergency data using the Internet back in the 90s. And I remember I had to get a UL certificate and flying up to Chicago to meet with Underwriters Laboratory. And they looked at me and said, we knew this was going to happen. We didn't think it was going to happen this soon. And we don't even know how to write the spec to get the Fire and Berg approval, which is a stamp they have to give for life-threatening, which are the, you know, life-threatening technology. So they said, you're going to have to write the spec for this on how you're using the Internet. And I knew then when I flew back to my to my office, I had something very special. And so we actually wrote the spec on how you use TCPIP, UDP, grams. And I remember going back to UL and said, I'm going to file a patent on this. And they said, you can't because now it's public domain. And I said, well, I'm going to file a patent all around it. So I started filing patents all around what I had developed. And uh, true enough, I mean, it was very evident to me and, and true enough to understand myself that I had something unique and I had something very, I think very disruptive in the in the communication field. And so, you know, I started filing more and more patents on how you can extend the internet. And thus we went more and more to ad hoc networking to create what we call a virtual wire, which would give you the four nines and in reliability in using wireless communication which is used today in, in a lot of other products and goods sold. Everything from cellular to satellite technology now is based on mesh topology.
0: Well, in addition to doing all this work, uh, inventing and filing patents and, and building businesses, um, you also uh, created or founded an organization. And I'm really interested in hearing and learning more about that can you tell us what is the Native American Intellectual Property Enterprise Council and how did it come to be?
1: You know, I'm very proud of that organization. I started that organization in 2009. Uh, when my father passed away, before he passed away not long ago, uh, he and I had a long conversation and it's one of those father and son chats you have where you make a commitment and, uh, I had made a commitment to him that I was going to work, find my way to work and help, uh, you know, our our culture, our, our our heritage, and try to see if there's ways I could, prov- you know, provide more assistance to my my relatives and family. One of the things I told my dad was, you know, I'm going to do something unique and different. So, the first thing I did when I sold my first when I sold my company to General Electric. I turned around and and put a, a quite a bit of money aside to found the Native American Inventors Association because I'd realized that there weren't there was no resources or help for Native American people. And traditional people don't really have access to internet. In a lot of remote areas, they don't have access to technology. And so My goal was to go to the USPTO and and meet and talk with folks and see if I could get some assistance from not only from the USPTO, United States Patent Trademark Office, but also I had connected up with folks at the Bureau of Indian Affairs Office in the Department of Interior. And we started the organization that went from the Native American Inventors Association to the Native American... and you know, enterprise council that we set up, more of a platform to help support the tribes and 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 still yet help the inventors and yet help the tribes understand the value of intellectual property. because one of the things that's happened to the tribal people, you know from from generations handed down, is you know our culture has essentially been hijacked, and we've had no rights to it you know, everything that you identify as an American Indian has been more or less captured or seized by Anglo, you know, Europeans. And uh, anything to do from horticultural to, to, to engineering, everything we had, we possessed through generations was taken. And even our names have been taken. I mean, if you, I mean my point is, if you look at, I'm going to say the Apache. I mean, how many products out there do you know in America that's named after the Apache? You got anything from weaponry to Apache helicopters. What happened to the Indians is we lost our our identity, which was hijacked. And so what I tried to do with the Enterprise Council, bringing in the IP resources, is re-educate the tribes on intellectual property, understanding the value of what it brings in creating new economic streams for tribal people and giving not only more opportunity but giving people a way to uplift themselves and actually be a contributor in and not only traditional ways but outside of the society that they live in. So that's what the, the what we've graduated to. And over the years we've worked with a number of tribes, and we've been very successful in introducing and bringing in new businesses, bringing in new technology, and even help supporting some of their IP. And we've helped in you know tribes go back and look at you know how they could utilize legal resources to recapture some of what was lost. And we've been successful with that, and we've been quite proud of it. And we can't wait to see what the future is going to be for another 10 years or 20 years.
0: That's fantastic. Now, can you tell us in a little bit more detail maybe some types of assistance that Napec offers?
1: We primarily only work with what I call, you know, tribal card holders, people that are actually registered on the reservation or live within the reg- you know, within the community. So one of the prerequisites is that you have to have a card which shows that you are a representative of the tribe and we help assist them and not only taking their ideas you know, from a table to, a, or from a napkin, you know, to actually building a product and helping them assist them get patents. And a lot of times, we've helped them in identifying, you know, ways we can work with them to create ways to help them monetize their ideas. And we work with anywhere from companies like with Hasbro Toy Company to GE to across the board. We we have a very good network of people that we plug into that will basically uh, provide a lot of resources for independent inventors within the tribal community.
0: Now, I understand you also have an intellectual property hub. Um, Can you tell us when this resource was created and what kind of information can be found on it?
1: What it is, we call it a tip center. It's a tribal intellectual property resource. And traditionally, we, we set up these hub zones where we work with the tribes, where they can have access particularly if they don't have access to internet we try to bring communication to the tribe so the tip center is designed to be a resource for remote tribes that are out in the middle of nowhere and yet they have access Uh, you have to understand that there's over 640 federally recognized tribes in the united states and probably 70 60 percent of them are in very remote places. And so what we try to do is provide a resource using the tribal intellectual property centers as a way of so people can go and get assistance. I think the person that I have to give the most credit to as far as helping us launch the tip centers is a gentleman that used to be the former director of the United States Patent Trademark Office. His name is uh, Director Kapos, um, who's no longer there. Mr. Kapos was huge in helping us. And he's the one that actually helped me from the concept of turning it from a Native American Inventors Association to NAPEC, which is the Native American Intellectual Property Enterprise Council. He he said we needed a bigger scope. And he was a big proponent of that.
0: That's really neat.
1: Yeah. So, and there is there is those kind of, I mean, we, we see that there's more opportunity create more of a leveling playing field for tribal members. And what we try to do is instill that and say, hey, anybody can create on any kitchen table. You can come up with ideas, products, goods, and services. Let us see if we can uplift the community by becoming a brain trust for innovation within the community. So that's that's one of the things that we're very strong at in helping trying to convince, you know, communities that there is an opportunity here. So, you know, And I do a lot of, I engage with, you know, with teachers and schools, and we've actually done inventors, you know, classes with elementary school folks. Oh, very neat. We've we've actually done inventor, creator, inventor uh, contests in different schools. And uh, we've given prizes out, computers, and it's something the kids look forward to. It's it's amazing to go through one of those. It's like having a shark tank for kids, and it's just amazing.
0: Absolutely. That part of your Native American IP project, which I know is a, another resource your foundation offers.
1: Yes, it is. Working with the, with the school system is very important because that's where everything is going to foster from. Absolutely. So we we engage a lot with the school systems. I really love working with the kids. It's a lot of fun. It really is. That's the most rewarding part of my job.
0: Well, NAPAC. You know, we've just you've just mentioned a lot of the really wonderful resources that it provides. Do you have some favorite success stories that have resulted from some of the assistance and programming that it provides?
1: Yeah, we've worked with a number of tribes, you know, from anywhere in the Dakotas. We've helped one tribe out that's very remote tribe. And um, I can't go into it because we still have some NDAs in place. We had a situation where I had uh, an inventor who was working on this new technology for the lightweight bulletproof vest. And it was a very unique material he was using. And I'd met him at a conference and we were talking and he was like, I really want to work with a tribe. And I've got these patents. I've already filed. I got two or three. And we started looking at his technology. And so I was able to become like a marriage broker. I basically set his company up with another tribe who works with, you know, 8A contracting with the government, who basically took his technology. And they went out on a bid contract where they were a sole source provider because they held the technology. Now, that's the first time a tribe has done that, where they actually hold, they become the top of the pyramid where they actually own the IP for the contract for the technology that's being built. That's not very common for a tribe to be able to do that become not only the contractor, but the sole source provider for the technology. And I was very proud of that because we were able to get the contract and we were able to create jobs and we were able to not only do that, but license that technology to European companies so they could build the best. So that's just one of many instances.
0: So, David, as the podcast comes to a close, what would you say are three wishes you hope to see become a reality for NAPEC?
1: The first is, you know, it is a non-profit organization. It is, it runs off charity. It gets donations and grants. Uh, we don't make money. Uh, we actually work for the betterment of the tribes. And so my biggest thing is that we could, you know, sometimes we run short on resources. We need more resources, more people, more staffing. Uh, would see that ways that we could actually become more, of um expansive so we could actually work with all the tribes and and not only from the federally recognized tribes but with state tribes as well um we are a small organization and we try to do our best uh but you know i i think that for us you know it's it's how can we you know work more efficient and yet be more um i guess be more successful and and uh, achieving uh, success for the tribes as far as creating, you know, different revenue streams that they can look and grow in the future. Um, the the other thing that I think that I would love to see, if I had my wish, would that the tribes set up their own patent office and um, and set up a central patent office that would be done and yet still have an affiliation with the World Patent Treaty Organization. I would love to see that because we are a country within a country, and and I know that that would be something that would, I think, would have tremendous value not only for for the tribe but also for the United States government. I think that we we would actually be a benefit to help the economy, for the U.S. economy, if we could plug in and provide another platform of uh, ways that we could work offshore. Different countries that we could work with uh, within the United States, and provide you know opportunity not only with the tribes but also with the average American. I think that the tribes, uh, the American Indians, have an opportunity um, that it could be you know it it could be truly unique, providing you know ways that. Uh, Tribes could actually work closer together to achieve, you know, more of a positive impact. Only, not only in their in their world, in their economy, but also go beyond that and be a positive for the U.S. economy.
0: Well, that's an absolute great way to end this episode. Uh, Thank you so much again, David, for joining us.
1: No, my pleasure. Anytime. I've really enjoyed it.
0: Absolutely. Thank you so much again. Well, that's a wrap for this week's show. Thanks again to this week's sponsor, Wellspring. Catch you next time on the air. I'm your host, Lisa Mueller, signing off. Thanks for listening to Autumn on the Air with Lisa Mueller. Get social with us and share your thoughts. You can tweet us at AUTM or visit us online at AUTM.net. We'll be back next week on the air. Be sure to join us.
1: New to Tech Transfer or a seasoned pro? Autumn is the global member organization for Tech Transfer and is here to help you get connected, get smart, and get ahead. Whether you work in academia, research, government, business development, corporate engagement, or startups, Autumn is dedicated to supporting you through education, advocacy, networking, and promotion. Join and you'll receive 20 free live webinars, as well as meaningful discounts on meetings and courses insider access to a vast network of colleagues to help you through challenges, and align on new technologies and the university decision-makers who license them. Membership is open for 2023. Join us.